Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Stacey Bellward, the host of the Connected Families podcast. Welcome to our community. We are people committed to pursuing God's grace and truth for ourselves and then daily working to pass that grace and truth on to our children. I'm so glad that you are here today. Well, we've been talking a bit about sibling conflict this month. Last episode, I talked with Katie Johnson, one of the Connected Families Certified Parent Coaches, about how she has applied the peace process, which we teach about in the Sibling Conflict Online course. The peace process has four steps. It's easy to remember and to teach to your kids. It's really another great example of how Connected Families is Bible first because the gospel message permeates the process and research informs all the while making it so practical. Well, if you are interested in learning more, go to episode 139, or you can go to our website and get all the information about the Sibling Conflict online course. Okay, well, today I am looking forward to having a conversation with Jim and Lynn Jackson, co-founders of Connected Families, about the value of restoration. I'm going to ask them to explain what that is and make it really practical for us, both in the midst of day-to-day conflict and how we as parents can teach our kids outside of the conflict. This is a passionate subject for both of them and something that they have put much time and effort thinking about as they raise their kids, really, and as they engage with all people. The value of restoration is foundational in their life's work. It undergirds our core content, discipline that connects, and the Connected Families Framework. So why is this topic so important? It's because when we apply our belief in Jesus, it changes our behavior. See, the idea of a very high value of restoration comes from Jesus and the price he paid with his life to fix the broken relationship that sin have caused. By dying and shedding his blood, we have the chance when we believe to be made clean from the sin that separates us from God. And then we can have abundant life in close relationship with God. It doesn't stop there. That same restoration is available for our broken relationships with other humans because of that work Jesus did on the cross. You know, the book of John in the Bible talks about that abundant life that we receive when we believe in Jesus. And I believe that restored relationships is one of the ways that we experience that abundant life. Well, if you would like more information about anything that I just said, I would love to talk to you. Use the contact us link in our show notes or also on our website to reach out. Okay. Well, right now I would love to bring in Jim and Lynn Jackson. Hi, Lynn. Hello. Hello. Hi, Jim. Welcome. Hi, Stacy. Thank you. I'm fired up now. <laughs> I know I got real deep in the intro, didn't I? And I know today we're going to be deep and then we're going to get lighter. We're going to cast some vision around the value of restoration. Of course, we will apply scripture and we're going to make this really super practical like we always do. Are you guys ready? I am ready. ready. You're always ready. The truth is that we know that parents really struggle with sibling conflict. It's every day, many times a day. And you and I know the struggle is real. You experienced so much sibling conflict as you were raising your kids. But maybe tell us, like, what do parents tell you is really their reality, their day-to-day reality around sibling conflict? I'd like to suggest right out the gates here, Stacey, that what they tell us their reality is, is based on a felt need, felt need to gain control, a felt need to make things right, a felt needs for their kids to do 
what they want them to do or would like them to do. And what parents felt need often is not, is something we're going to have to talk about a little bit today because, because there's a deeper need. If parents are going to get that felt need met, I think parents need to recognize because they come to us and their felt need is, is just those things. It's like, I want my kids to get along better. I want my kids to say they're sorry faster. So unquiet. I want it to be quiet. Kids wouldn't fight so much. That's very real. But if that's going on pretty regularly for parents, we've found that behind that is another reality. It's a need that parents have that they aren't feeling quite yet. Part of what we want to do even today is help parents feel this need. And the need is to develop a mindset of reconciliation, of restoration, of making things right that is rooted and grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The whole narrative of scripture from the beginning to the end is about God in right relationship with people, people breaking that relationship with God over and over and over again. God's enduring mercy to ultimately send Jesus Christ as a, as a payment, as a penalty, as a redeemer as a restorer of the ability of people to be in right relationship with God. This idea of making right in our little squabbles of everyday life is a fantastic opportunity that we have to think about the depth of what restoring of reconciliation, making things right is really all about. That's good. And it ties into what I mentioned, even in the intro and how we at Connected Families, you know, faith and our love of the Bible, that's even theology to use kind of that big, scary word really does permeate how we live out our parenting and our relationships and our day-to-day life. And Lynn, I know that you're a lover of the Bible, lover of Jesus and a lover of the Bible, but I know, and and I want to say, you've also mentioned many times the idea of the value of restoration. I think you're the one that said that first, but I know that when your kids were small, that idea was kind of new to you. You were like many of the parents that Jim just mentioned, you wanted peace in your house and you, you want wanted the sibling conflict to stop, but something changed and you got a bigger vision. You went from needing to manage the behavior to having this idea around the value of restoration. Can you talk about that and how that change happened? Yeah. I mean, I entered with my classic judgments about my son and daughter. So my son was older, intense, impulsive, ADHD kiddo, younger daughter, sensory sensitive, easily victimized, easily would scream when she got whacked. And I would go rushing in like the younger sister that I had been somewhat tormented by older brothers. (laughs) Like this is not okay. And he is at it again. And this needs to stop. And I just would enter with my anger and I realized I am making things so much worse. It took me a while to realize that. And then it was just a journey of really asking God to change my heart. And and I landed on a, a phrase that both of us then really leaned into. And the phrase I landed on was, I want for my kids the kind of relationships in life that Jesus bought for them on the cross. And that was just a game changer for me because then it was like I'd enter with just some eagerness to help them grow towards that. And Mm. so I began to with compassion because it's like now I'm moving them towards this positive goal of relationships that are filled with the grace that trickles down, the reconciliation that trickles down from the cross. And I thought that's what I want to give my kids before they leave home. I'm thinking about how early on that 
that affected even our relationship. I think as humans, we don't like conflict. It's it, it hurts. It's unnatural. It's hard to go through. We we carry a lot of shame with us, and and we tend when we're in conflict, a to try to blame other people, but like there's this icky in, you know kind of inside of us that just has us wanting to have this all go away, and and so we we try to be expedient and we try to do things quickly. And in our marriage, we realized that we didn't always reconcile. We solved, but we still carried the little baggage of the last conflict with us. And it ate away at us. And I kept thinking, instead of thinking thoughts of, oh, you know what? I'm so glad that we've made things right again and that we've restored our relationship. I would think thoughts like, oh, Lynn still doesn't get me. She still doesn't understand me. I still am such a screw up. I, you know, there's just this resonant set of thinking and feeling. And it was subtle and it was silent. And, but then over time it would eat away at me and then another conflict would happen and then it would all burst out again. So then we realized like, okay, the reconciliation that we value so highly isn't reconciliation, just a way of thinking about how to get our kids to get along better. It's a way of representing what the gospel is really like for all of us. Like, I'm going to move toward this conflict. I'm going to move toward you. I'm, I have a belief that God will redeem this and make things right between us and strengthen us through this. And it's going to be hard work to the degree that there were sometimes not as much recent days because we've learned, but up until really our 25th anniversary, and that story's told somewhere in our archives, discuss our conflict and try to get to the bottom of it and make things right for 24 hours or more. And it was painstaking and it was difficult and our heads might hit the pillow and we would be like, oh, really? But what compelled us time and time again was this belief that we enter into God's redemptive purposes for all people for all time. And our work to do this with each other fuels us to do this work better in our relationships with our kids, better in relationships with our neighbors, better in relationships with our, our workmates, better in relationship with our communities, and so on. And like, wow, this is a huge thing. This is a huge thing we're learning and entering into. It's not just solving a fight and getting a glimpse of the of the joy set set before us in heaven, really, of restored, made right relationship, first with Christ and then with the brothers and sisters in the kingdom. So I've heard a number of things. It's catching a bigger vision for what we're going after in life. I heard you say it's a journey where you've gotten more and more understanding of how to work this out, probably both with your kids. And then in your marriage, you said uh, you're 25. That gives me hope. I'm not at 25 yet, you guys. I'm having 23 on Saturday. <laughs> I want to dig down into kind of a nuance of what you said. You were solving problems but you are not coming to restoration. And you you said that in the context of your marriage, but it's really the same with our kids. You know, it's your the big picture of it. So can we talk about that for a minute? What's the difference between just solving the problem? Okay, you get you get the toy for 30 minutes and then you get the toy for 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I suppose um, it's a matter of semantics, right? Like what is solving? When I, when I use that story or, or set that contrast, it was really about solving is about let's expediently get things back in order so we can move on with life. And so, you know, kids say you're sorry to each other, be nice. If you can't, you know, one will sit in the front and one will sit in the back, but we got to get to the game or we got to do the thing. And then, you know, then we do this and we move on with life and we carry on and kind of forget that there still is this thing that never really got worked out between the kids or between us, if it's between, uh, you know, married couples or even anybody. So the solving is the expedient way, as I see it. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just the, okay, we figured it out. Let's move on versus, ah, there's restored joy 
in our relationship. And that's like the key difference that reflects our relationship with God, you know, as is, it's just like, if we're concerned about something and then we just kind of like figure out what we think he wants us to do and we move on, but it's like, is there joy in our relationship yeah. when we with the Lord when we wrestle with something? And maybe a different and simple way to say it, Stacy, is solving tends to be transactional. Yeah. Let's do what we got to do to carry on function decently again. Transformation really happens when we when we go to the mat and when we work it through and when we understand each other and when we listen to each other and when we hear each other's perspective and then validate one another, then forgive one another is true forgiveness in the center of all of this activity. Honey, I really treated you badly and I am mm-hmm. so sorry. Please forgive me. Be able to say that to my kids and model that to them, you know, and I'm working with the family right now, you know, just some deeply entrenched shame. So difficult. As soon as we start talking about, well, yeah, you did really great for a bunch of it, but there was this other stuff that was really hard, wasn't there? And you can just see the face get downcast on the child. Like, oh, I blew it. I can't, I don't want to talk. And you know, how was it for you? Don't want to talk about it. I can't talk about this. You're talking about the bad part of my life. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to solve this and carry on. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not solving, but maybe it's the best you can do right now. So we'll work with it. But I don't lose the goal, even in that working relationship of, mm-hmm. of helping guide a family toward, uh, and a child, particularly in this case, toward true reconciliation, forgiveness of self, and then of others, and then of joy in in relationship together again. Mm-hmm. And I think you just, you know, the shame that you mentioned in the family that you're working with, there's joy for part of it and shame for part of it. This is hard work. Let's just say that there are a lot of elements that, that come into play that we sometimes need to work through. And sometimes even with a therapist to get through those layers of baggage to help us be able to enter into these conversations on deep levels where we can be transparent and we can lay aside our own ooh, selfish and, you know, (laughs) tapes and all of the things so that we can come into restoration. And all of that also is what Jesus died on the cross for, because we can claim healing. We know that the Holy Spirit power is in us and enables us to do that work, even when it feels just so hard. And yeah, well, and the happy one around solving around getting on with life are very difficult to unlearn. And I mean, I've had people say, why do I got to work so hard at this? You don't, you don't have to, you can, you can live in the sort of, again, I use this word transactional mode if you want and, and carry on for a while, but your deepest joy, your deepest satisfaction, your deepest representation of what we believe the gospel is all about restored, forgiven, making right of relationships happens through the hard work. It's not easy. I'm stepping into the mindset of a parent now, just thinking I have four kids, five kids. They're just constantly fighting. I'm supposed to spend my whole day facilitating reconciliation. And (laughs) that's not what we're talking about. And we'll get more practical in the second half. But, you know, sometimes I tell parents when they're overwhelmed with that, just, you know, choose some of the conflicts and really walk through that with your kids and get to the celebration piece so that you've got something to reflect back on. So that you're not feeling like every single time I have to facilitate this big thing to make sure that they don't just like smooth it over and move on. Well, that's going to happen. So just be okay with that. But when you 
engage with your kids to help them truly reconcile, then celebrate that Mm -hmm. and begin to build identity around that. And I've seen in coaching parents that that can begin to shift the momentum as kids learn the skills and build the identity, then they can begin to naturally do that themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so good. I remember way back when I first maybe was working at Connected Families and Learning Sibling Conflict. And I asked you that question, Lynn. I'm like, do we need to walk through the peace process for every single thing? And your answer to me was short and simple. No, it was only when there's really deep, broken relationships. So in the context of our conversation today, we were just making a distinction between solve and reconciliation. And you're right, Lynn, there are times with small kids, you just solve the problem because it's just a little squabble, right? And then as parents, you know, you kind of have a sense of when we've moved into some heart tearing, heart separation that just happened. And now we need to do deeper work. That's a good distinction and a good message. Hey, everybody, if this conversation is valuable to you, if you think it could be valuable to a friend of yours, would you share it? Uh, pass it on to someone and that just helps us get the word out. We appreciate it. We're going to go to a break. After the break, as Lynn promised, we're going to get a lot more practical about how the value of reconciliation can be worked on in your family, both inside the conflict and outside the conflict. All right. We'll see you just after the break. Did you imagine your kids to be best friends and have a house full of laughter, fun, and cute memory-making moments together? And yet, here you are, struggling with constant fighting, badgering, and teasing. Well, I feel you, friend. Sibling conflict is real, and Connected Families teaches parents the peace process in the Sibling Conflict online course. Listen, the inevitable conflict between your kids could actually strengthen their relationship. It is possible. Consider checking out the Sibling Conflict online course. The course only costs $34. It's one of our smaller courses. You take it on your own schedule and could even start as soon as you register. Well, if you've ever taken an online course from us, you know that outside of the core content, we give tons of extra resources. The peace process is catchy and you can teach it to your kids. It was an important tool for my family and I believe it will be an important tool for your whole family too. Go to the show notes right now to get information about our Sibling Conflict online course and register today. All right, we're here after the break. just having a really spiritually meaningful conversation with Jim and Lynn Jackson about the value of restoration, particularly around sibling conflict and how we deal with conflict in our homes. And so we're going to get really practical in this second half because we want to talk about how do we grow that value of restoration, both inside of conflict when it actually happens and then outside of conflict. So let's start there. Lynn, I know you have got a list of scriptures and I'm sure the list is actually pages and pages and pages, but you pulled a few out. If only you knew, Stacey. (laughs) If only you knew. (laughs) Yes, I do have some favorites on this topic. And, and I think the first one is just the way it's for guiding parents perspective. And it's one we talk about a lot in Discipline the Connects and Sibling Conflict, but it's, it's Galatians 6.1, which follows a bunch about the deeds of the flesh. And then it follows the fruit of the spirit. And then it tells you what to do with that fruit of the spirit. It says, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual 
should restore him gently, not punish the heck out of him, but restore him gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You just sense how lovingly these people were supposed to deal with someone caught in a sin. Mm -hmm. And I love that word restore because the Greek is, it relates to mending a broken bone. And so our calling as parents, if our kids are sinning and selfish and having a conflict is to seek to mend the broken bone and restore, help, mm -hmm. help kids restore that relationship. Yeah. Um, I've been doing actually in my brain, a thing with scriptures like this lately, like, all of the scripture informs our parenting. There's not a whole lot of verses that are very, very specific to parenting, but this verse, if someone's caught in a sin, like maybe my child, well, learn <laughs> gently and then don't get caught up in their, in their madness. <laughs> like how often do we as parents get caught up in the madness of the one we're trying to, and, and this is about valuing this teaching, understanding that this is about walking by the means of the fruit of the spirit that's in us and then carrying out discipline gently for the purpose of restoration. Mm -hmm. And like, wow, that's a parenting verse. Huh. I wonder what other verses are parenting verses. Well, there's tons if you look this mm -hmm. way. Yeah. What's another one, Lynn? Another one is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. And this is a good one to teach your kids outside the time of conflict. So they just understand why you do what you do. Then there's no surprises. And that's Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you're offering a gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. And the more I sit in this verse, the more I realize it is such a gift to us. God does not want us doing our religious behavior if there's damaged relationships. And so he says, I care about your relationships. Go make those right first. That will be a sacrificial offering to me. And then go back and give your money or do your service or whatever. So that translates into helping kids know God says, this is our first priority of all things. So mm -hmm. things that distract you can be on hold until your heart is ready to really work this through and make it right. Mm -hmm. It's such a good principle to teach them to celebrate that, how he cares about our relationships. I love that. Even in the sibling conflict course, I know that you both taught in the videos around the idea of making right what you've made wrong. And you talk about the idea of, you know, the kids like, oh, we're good now. I'm ready to go outside and play. And yet you check with the other one. Are, are your hearts back together again? And if it's not, then we put on hold any, any activities that are going to stop us from reconciling because that is the most important thing. I think that is communicating to our kids in our house. We have a value of restoration. Mm -hmm. What other ways would you communicate to kids? This is our family value. Well, being really intentional to model. So one of the families I coached, they were driving in the car and parents had an argument and the kids started to, you know, jump in and they, and the parents said, Hey guys, just quiet down. We're doing the peace process. And the kids just started to listen. And at the end of that conversation, then the, the older son goes, wow, 
you guys are really good at the peace process. If you've ever seen our one of our little posts, that's the boys that then did the peace process. They're like they were like six and four or seven and five or something like that. They did the peace process themselves and got to the end and just had this huge celebration. And the dad walked in on about two thirds of the way through it, videoed it. It's just delightful. They're hooping, falling all over as they celebrate their own independent reconciliation, talking out loud about what you're, what you're doing. Yeah. And I think the fact that here's mom and dad in the front seat and it's the couple and they're modeling it. Like how many of us as married couples are comfortable doing our conflict in front of our kids in such a way that we can make right what, what either of us made wrong. Mm-hmm. Silence, radio silence right there, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) And then celebrate with each other in a way that our kids see it, they get on board with it. Like the first step in this process that Lynn just talked about is for married couples to value this between themselves and put it on display for their kids and then let the kids see that celebration. Kids love nothing more, even if they seem like they're embarrassed by it, to see mom and dad loving on each other and little kissy face to make up. And I agree. I was so embarrassed when my dad would say, we love making up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say a word uh, to single parents though, because that could be just like, Oh, you just popped my balloon here. Modeling then shifts gears. How do you model with friends? How do you model a civil, respectful relationship with an ex-husband or ex-boyfriend or spouse or whatever. And then then your your key modeling opportunity is in your relationship with your each child individually. And you work when you have a conflict with them, you work to go through that reconciliation and then celebrate big time when you get through it and you can begin to build that value mm-hmm. as well. Well, mm-hmm. and even about our own parents. I'm an adult and I did reconciliation work with my parents in a way that I, you know, talked appropriately about what the issues were and then even invited kids to pray for me along the way. And, and they saw me and then I was accountable to them to have a better attitude about mom or dad or, you know, (laughs) along the way. And then, you know, finally get to a place where I can serve my parents with, with true joy because we've restored and are reconciled. And the kids saw that and they value that and it puts a deep impression on them. Mm-hmm. And let me just say that we have an episode coming up where I'm going to interview a woman who's done a lot of work on understanding forgiveness and mercy in the midst of that, even with people that you can't have a conversation with and what that might look like and getting getting free of that. So that's coming up. But, you know, for the rest of the podcast, let's move on to the question that many parents will have. And that is, okay, well, what about in the middle of conflict? How does this look different? We've already mentioned the concept around solve versus restoration. There are times to solve. But let's talk about the idea of restoration. Like when we have hearts that have been torn and we want to do the harder work of bringing hearts back together. Give us some pointers around that. Well, certainly engaging with grace and empathy instead of 
condemnation. And, you know, when I made my shift to, I want for my kids kind of relationships in life that Jesus bought for them on the cross, I began to enter with compassion. Oh, you guys, this is so hard, isn't it? You just have big feelings about this. Both of you do. And so entering with compassion, it just grace paves the way for them to calm down and begin to give grace to each other. Right. I want to, I want to go a step upstream. Yeah. Because in order to do that, you did some preparation. You laid claim to this notion that God's at work in you, Mm -hmm. growing the fruit of the spirit in you. You receive that, you you play it out, you become grateful for it. I mean, I watched your process. You didn't just decide, I'm going to be more compassionate. You steeped in God's word, you steeped in God's truth, you wore it, we talked about it, it prepared you to go compassionately into the things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where even the verse that you mentioned earlier, Galatians 6 1, comes into play, right? You were able to grab onto that bigger vision so that you could use the fruits of the spirit to come to your kids and restore them gently without falling into sin yourself, which we all probably have done that and know what that feels right, like, right? The big explosions and the, all the things. Yeah. So I like that. Okay. What else? Then it's, it's about preparing them ahead of time with this concept. So there's no surprises. And starting to build the value, talking about the scripture, even talking about the principles of if we use our words to hurt, we can use our words to heal. If we use our hands to hurt, we can use our hands to heal. And this is really about reconnecting relationships. It's not just about if you did something bad with your hands, you have to do something good with your hands. You know, a well-intentioned parent shared with me that if her son hit his sister, then he had to use his hands to clean the toilet. And that misses the idea of restoration. She was trying, she's, you know, she was avoiding a physical punishment thing of him, but, but it still wasn't building the value of restoration. It's like, how could you use your hands to heal this break in the relationship? I chatted with Lydia last night because she's got great ideas about this. And she said, she has created a list of ideas ahead of time that her kids could do so that they they did that thinking when their brains were calm and just different creative ways they could serve each other. And then in the heat of the moment, she didn't just like, all right, which one do you pick? You better go do that now and put that relationship back together. You know, when do you think you'll be calm enough that you would pick something? And when you do, I'll help you get started. See what I love about what you just said, Lynn, this shift from sternness, saying the right things sternly Mm -hmm. versus saying the things with lightness. Like, hey, this is just real life. It's normal life. Stuff Mm -hmm. like this happens. It's hard sometimes, Mm -hmm. but you can get through it. You got through it last week. What do you want to do this time? How do do you think we could make it right together if it's between you and the child? But we we allow our sternness. Number one, we, we quit being aware of it. We say the right things, but with a tone that's kind of anxious and urgent and mm-hmm. and really still has sort of that heart of wanting to fix stuff. And we forget that lightness, A, helps the kids, but B, it helps us too to remember this bigger thing that's going on, which is which is really a spiritual thing. Lydia's example, I mean, I know Lydia, we know Lydia well, and this is a spiritual work for her. That's why she's able to do and mm-hmm. say things the way she does. Yeah. You know, when her one child would hit the other, you know, instead of, okay, you need to make it right with your hands. It's like that child said, well, maybe I could draw her a, a picture and say, sorry on my card. And she said, oh, that's a great idea. I'll get the markers for you and I can help you with the spelling. And, you know, it's, so it's really communicating. Let's catch the joy of reconciliation together. 
And I mm-hmm. love that suggestion. It's like, it's like the Holy Spirit coming alongside. Let's catch the joy of reconciliation together. I think that mm-hmm. that's really important, mm-hmm. you know. Like our son would often make a glass of chocolate milk for Bethany after they'd had like a little physical altercation. And, you know, I was there to help him if he needed to reach something or whatever. And afterwards, a real key then is to notice the difference in the kids' faces. And I would say, wow, look, Daniel, look at the difference in Bethany's face now. And do you know what yours looks like too? There's a lot of joy in this room right now. And that's quite different than there was five minutes ago or 10 minutes ago. That's really just about the joy of reconnecting our hearts. That's just a key piece in building this value of reconciliation because you're helping kids step into the, their God-given emotions of joy that comes with reconciliation. I think that was so powerful that I would suggest everyone listening to rewind this a minute and listen to that again, because that was so important. Joy is the difference between just solving it and bringing restoration. And I've even found as my kids are now, you know, start to start in college, calling out of the shifts, the good shifts that are happening in all the ways, actually here, we're talking about restoration, but for them, it's God's work in their lives, naming his work and what's happening is just so important for us as parents. And I think that, you know, as they were really little, that joy comes faster when you're three, four, five, six, seven years old, right? It's like, yay, we're good now. Let's go get a popsicle and celebrate, you know, and everyone can do a little dance together and you put on some music and it gets a little harder maybe to really experience that deep joy. I think as they get a bit older, because I don't know what we're just, what are we just more complicated at that time? Because I think it's important for the parents. We know parents have kids of all different ages and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's really true. And kids like kind of four and five and younger, they kind of can feel one emotion at a time. So when they're mad, everything's mad. And then when they blow through that and they're happy, it's like, whoa, the world is wonderful. So it's, you know, you kind of wonder sometimes if you have it, you know, if your child has a big outburst and then they're done with it and they go on and they're just happy as can be and you're traumatized. That's because as adults, we hold things longer. We can hold multiple emotions at once, like the whole thing of smad. I'm sad and mad. I must be smad. A four-year-old can't do that, but the older kids get, the more they they can remember feelings. They're complex. And so it's hard to just let things go and move on. And so it has to be a lot more, more subtle and thoughtful, like, huh, you know, you guys really work through something tough. Should I just mix us up a little hot chocolate or a smoothie or something? Um, you, you worked hard at that. So it's low key. It's objective, not like with pom-poms and just noticing what they did well. Jim, you're the mm-hmm. middle ages and teens at guy. Well, yeah. The, the, one thing I'll say about the, the older kids is that in some respects, what we are learning with them, that we take for granted that things are working when our kids are young. But even then, I think kids, when they get into, and you're talking about that age, you know, three, four, five years old, they can only kind of experience or, or yeah, one emotion at a, they can only experience one emotion at a time. 
But in their brains, it's starting to get complex. It's starting to get, and they're starting to make rules for themselves about how life works and how things happen. And we tend with our kids when they're five to act toward them the same when they're seven and then nine, because why? Because it worked. And we forget that once they reach that early, right before school starts age, cognitively things are changing fast and they're picking up a whole lot of things. And we can use old habits to manage behavior, but all along they're forming they're forming ideas about and rules about how all this works. And if we wait until they're teenagers to try to address all this, our work becomes much harder. That said, the teenage stuff, it's like how I treat a teenager is kind of how I want to treat a seven-year-old, is kind of how I want to treat a five-year-old as best I can. So a five-year-old loves to do big celebrations, a 12-year-old might not, but I want to celebrate age appropriately with kids. But you're right, Lynn, for me, even working like with a family recently, seven-year-old child, just kind of keep it on the download, but it's, it's my mindset. It's inviting you into, yeah, you seem like things are better. How does mm-hmm. it feel better or worse than if you had chosen the other thing? Yeah. When, and then, and then oh, I realized that it's breaking into a role play. Oh, you're doing a role I was play? Just breaking into a role play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how, a little bit better. Thumbs up or thumbs down. It's, it's okay. It's more, more up than down. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Thumbs up or thumbs down. Thumbs middle. <laughs> right. Right. So what I'm doing right there, even with an older child is, is mm-hmm. in a little level of, of acceptable to them buy-in and you mm-hmm. put a little, little act to it and it, and it helps that child learn that lesson even more effectively. So mm-hmm. yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs up. Oh, felt better. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or knuckles. Cool. Let's, let's carry on. I think especially this is a hard one. Our, our tendency is to use way too many words with kids in, in an effort to try to figure all this out for ourselves. <laughs> and I think that that gaining confidence is like, what are the shortest true things I can say and enlist the ear of a child, the spirit of a child in the learning uh, and yep. keep them instead of mom, stop talking, dad, stop <laughs> it. I've heard this a thousand times. And I did that. I was uh, working with a little guy once who had a sister and they got in a squabble and I thought, oh, great. I'm going to teach restoration here. And I go in and I start to wah, 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 wah. And okay. I did all the things that I tell parents not to do, you know, don't try to teach restoration in the middle of a conflict, make sure it's been modeled lots of times first and all that. And I just kind of lectured on and, and I stayed calm and I recognized this is going south. So then I backed out of the situation and I thought, oh, perfect opportunity to model what I was trying to teach. So I found the little guy later and I said, hey, buddy, I want to apologize to you for something. And he looked at me kind of funny and a little wary. And I just said, you know, I just kind of talked on about something that your heart wasn't ready to hear. And I wasn't sensitive to you that you were feeling a little embarrassed and frustrated. And, and I'm really sorry, would you forgive me? Yeah. Oh, good. Thanks. And so I just shifted and turned it into an, a modeling opportunity, but it just reinforced for me, yeah, you just can't push something on a child that hasn't seen it modeled and discussed in a fun, lighthearted, positive way outside the time of a conflict. 
and I've had that very kind of thing happen in numerous relationships with young people, Stacy. And, and it's an opportunity to just let that sit in the child for a bit. It also provides an opportunity for me sometime in the not too distant future in the context of just doing life again to, to just raise the issue. You know, the other day when I did this thing and we had the thing and, and well, there was a thing that was kind of important to me to talk about, but it was a bad time, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a bad time. Well, I, I just want to say a few things about that now because of how important it is. And then you have your opportunity to do the teaching in the future. Mm-hmm. So you don't, it, it, it's easy for us once we sort of go through this thing and it's all working out good now to just sort of leave it there and not come back to it. This is where the intentionality about entering into really the redemptive potential to teach kids about, about true restoration, reconciliation, making things right is such a, such a spiritual work, such a work of the gospel. So good. And Jim and Lynn, I think we did a pretty good job at covering this in this, what, 35-ish minute podcast. So let's just celebrate a job well done. (laughs) We were a little scared on the front end of this. We were, we were. We're like, this is a big topic for a podcast and we understand that. But I also know that if anybody would go and register for the sibling conflict course, you do go into much more depth. And we talk about a lot of the things that we just briefly mentioned in this podcast, like the peace process, celebration, and the importance of that, and lots of nuances around the different steps of the peace process. All of that is in the Sibling Conflict course. So Jim and Lynn, thanks so much for being with me today and talking about this important topic, the value of restoration and the abundant life in our relationships that we can experience because of the, the death of Jesus on the cross. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. It up, Stacey. Yeah, it was our privilege. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. If sibling conflict is a struggle for you, be sure to check out the sibling conflict online course. You can get all the information in our show notes or on our website. We are a listener-supported organization. Over 46,000 parents like you listen to the podcast every month. Individual donations make the work to equip and encourage families possible. For more information about Connected Families, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or go to connectedfamilies.org. I will see you next time. 